The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today, we're doing something a little different. I've been doing this podcast for almost 100 episodes, and I thought it would be fun to check in with some past guests. Over the next few months, you'll be hearing a series of new conversations with old guests as we return to their original stories and see how their lives have changed. These episodes will be slightly different than the episodes you're used to, but I'm really excited to share them with you. In this episode, we're catching up with Cambry Cruz. Almost two years ago, Cambry sat down with me and shared this story about her dad. The through line in my life seems to be about uh, loving my father in spite of his bad behavior. My father was very much my hero growing up. He's extraordinarily smart, but he was born deaf. And being born deaf in a hearing family, which uh, was also a very poor farming and evangelical Christian family who believed in divine healing, did not serve him well. (laughs) He was abandoned at this deaf school from the age of four up until he graduated high school. He lived in dorms, and he felt like deaf school was like a prison to him. He's actually used those words. So it makes sense that he now is in prison. When an abused child uh, (laughs) grows up, often they have many other difficulties. And the the reason he's in prison now is because he was a domestic abuser. He actually used to abuse my mother, and he tried to kill her when I was, um, it was the summer before my senior year in high school. And I happened to be there and was able to stop the attack. He only got probation. So many years later, we had kind of forged a relationship again of just uh, letters and then I I moved to New York, and it was when I was here in New York that I got a call that my dad had done it again. He had tried to kill another woman, but this time it was much more severe. No one was there to prevent the attack like I had been there to help my mom. That This woman was by herself with my dad, and thankfully she lived. And that means that he only got attempted murder, though. But he's going to get out soon. During the rest of our first conversation... Cambry talked about how both her and her father's lives would change if he got out on parole and if she was ready for it. As much as she looked up to him as a kid, his multiple acts of domestic violence had really complicated their relationship. During our recent catch-up, the first thing Cambry talked about was spending the last few years working towards getting her father to accept guilt for what he'd done. He was sentenced for 20 years, and in Texas you have to serve half of your sentence before you're eligible for parole. He had served 10 was denied parole, not surprised, violent offender, first time up for parole, wasn't admitting guilt. I mean, come on, three strikes, no no chance. That then meant he was eligible for parole every two years after that. So every two years, we'd go through the same shenanigans. I'm innocent. She was trying to kill herself. Here, would you write a letter of support? That kind of thing. He it was a source of a lot of... Um, angst for me. I was really, really worried about what his life was going to look like when he got out of prison. He needed to come to terms with a lot of stuff. And he was just, he was struggling with the truth and getting to an age and a point in his life where he was willing to accept that he had done these bad things, 
that he usually did while in a blackout drunk. And so he really had a hard time reconciling the truth. And so he would come up with these explanations that sounded plausible to the sober version of himself. Like, oh, well, surely, you know, she was trying to kill herself. I was trying to stop it. And in the midst of all of that chaos, she got stabbed a few times. You know how it goes. But Cambry's father's story started to change when she opened up to him about getting sober. We talked very openly about everything. And I had recently gotten sober. And so he was asking me questions about that. And I said, listen, you know, no, I, there was nothing so dramatic as what you did to this woman in my life. I had, you know, I didn't wake up one morning horrified about what I'd done the day before, but I'd had plenty of those moments throughout my life. And I was just tired of drinking. And so we just started talking about that, that I just quit cold turkey. And I, I didn't even intend to quit for forever. I love drinking. Um, so yeah, we talked openly about that. And that's how he started to come to terms with, yeah, I did things while I was a blackout drunk. And it was a little bit of a cop out. Like, oh, I, that's not really me. I didn't really do those things. I was drunk and that's the excuse. But, you know, it was still at least in the right direction of admitting that this was his fault. He was really starting to reconcile with it. To get out of prison, Cambry's dad needed to get parole. Every two years, they'd go through the same process of being eligible, applying, and then getting denied. And then his last time up, he was denied, but then eligible again just a year later. And we're like, that's different. And then towards the end of 2019, um, he had gotten a letter about trying to get his birth certificate, needing to get his original birth certificate. And I'm like, why would they need that? And how, what does this mean? So I tried to make some calls and nobody would really tell me that that means he's getting parole. But they're like, well, you know, he's nearing the end of his sentence. We need to make sure he has his paperwork for when he gets out. So I you know, got his uh, certified original birth certificate. Um, we went through two and a half years of me trying to get his pension accounts settled. He was an, a construction worker and he had been in the union. And he's like, I know I have a pension. I need my pension. And he had worked in Tulsa. He had worked in Houston. He'd worked in Dallas. But eventually after two and a half years, he got his pension check and then he was getting monthly payments. And so we were like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is great. You're going to be great. You've got all your legal paperwork. You've got a nice little nest egg. You'll come live with me and my husband in the woods. We're here in the Catskills. And you're going to be like a, a deaf Rip Van Winkle. You're going to be waking up from this really long slumber and into the future. And you're going to be like a time traveler. And so that was good. And so we were ready for him to come home. As they navigated parole, Camry did her best to regularly see her dad in prison. But then 2020 hit. As he was nearing the end of his sentence, my, my personal goal was that I wanted to visit him at least every six months. And so I saw him in September. I went and visited him. We had a really great visit. And then come January, there was all this talk of the pandemic overseas. But it looked like it was not... It just... I was like... This is only a matter of time before it's here, and it's probably already here, and we just don't even know it. This was in January. I'm like, are you watching these videos in Italy and China, and how are we not acting differently right now? And it was really 
kind of, I was starting to pull my hair out and freak out. And I'm like, am I being histrionic here? I don't think so. I think this is bad. So I was like, I've got to see my dad before this gets bad because I have a feeling this is bad. And so I uh, scheduled a trip to see him February 1st, which was the week before his birthday. So I wanted to go on his birthday, but the first weekend of the month allows, um, there's a photographer, so you can get pictures of your visit. And so the first weekend of the month was February 1st. It was a week before his birthday. So I was like, ah, that'll serve, you know, as his surprise. And I didn't tell him I was coming and we we tricked him. My my sixth grade social studies teacher, Dr. Meeker, would visit him regularly. And Dr. Meeker during his last trip said, I'm going to probably visit you around your birthday. So, you know, be prepared. So when he got a note that he had a visitor, he assumed it was Dr. Meeker, as we knew he would. So, but, but we wanted him to be aware because you don't want to just like pull him out of bed and he's not shaven and that kind of thing. Like we wanted him to know and to not eat breakfast so that he could get all the good food from the commissary and stuff. So when he saw that it was a contact visit, he was like, that's not Dr. Meeker. Dr. Meeker doesn't get contact visits. And then he saw the last name Cruz. He's like, oh my God. So when he came out, he was like, ooh, shake, wagging his finger. And so we he, we had the best, best visit that we've ever had. Super long hug and we cried a lot. And we, it was just really great. And then that's about a month later is when New York shut down. And then after that, the prisons shut down. And when his unit shut down, he was just kind of bummed. He wasn't worried. He was like, I'm just going to stay in my cell, take bird baths. I don't need to take a shower. I'll just take a bird bath in my cell. Um, I'm not seeing anyone. He didn't have a cellmate, so it didn't matter if he really stank or anything anyway. So I was like, great, stay away from everyone. Prisons are Petri dishes for COVID. So it started going... uh, like wildfire throughout their prison system. The first uh, prison death in Texas is in his unit. Even though COVID was moving through the prison system, Cambry's dad felt safe from the virus in his prison cell. The real problem was the lockdown conditions. When his prison unit shut down, they no longer had regular food service and instead were brought sack lunches. And the sack lunches are not the best. But, you know, it's lockdown is usually a week, two weeks, and you get through it, whatever. Um, but now you're talking about 60, 90 days and longer of lockdown. Three sack lunches a day is what you're supposed to get. Sometimes they were only getting one or two. A lot of the sack lunches had inedible food, like meat that was still frozen, bread that was moldy, things like that. And He had also had a bad dental situation. His teeth were in horrific shape. He has hardly any teeth. The teeth he does have are rotten and nerves exposed and stuff. He's in tremendous pain. So he can't eat the food he's getting. And the food that he's getting is almost inedible anyway. So he was drastically losing weight. In May of 2020, the Marshall Project wrote an expose on the quality of food in these sack lunches. Inmates from prison across Texas sent them photos of their lunches that show meager servings of stale bread and moldy mystery meats. The only person who opted to have their name quoted in the article was Theodore Sego Cruz, Cambry's dad. He was not the source of the pictures, um, but he was a source for some quotes. 
And um, he decided to use his real name because he was like, I'm going to die in here anyway. I'm starving. And um, he had always considered himself a champion for the deaf, uh, especially in the in prison. They called him the warrior for the deaf in there because he was always advocating for their legal rights uh, of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so he used his real name and uh, he's his quote is, we're not going to die from COVID, we're going to die from starvation. And then by then he had already lost about 30 pounds in a month and a half. It was bad. As all this was happening in the prison, Cambry finally got some good news. In May of 2020, they found out her father was eligible for parole again. One of the aspects of being up for parole is that someone can write a letter of support on your behalf. Every time her dad had been eligible up to this point, Cambry chose not to write a letter, but because of how much she felt like he had changed over the past year and started to own up to what he did, she wrote one for him. I I just felt like my dad had turned a corner. He was ready and I was ready. He can have these services available to him in the free world. Um, He's got a job waiting for him at QED to be a handyman. He's got work in upstate in Sullivan County as a handyman. There's, um, you know, I know sign language. I can be his interpreter. He's got resources. We're, we're active with the Fortune Society. I mean, just on and on and on, all these reasons why he should be l- released. And June 11th, the week before Father's Day, I, I was checking the website and he was not on the website. I was like, oh my God, did he die? Because that's the only time they ever are taken off. And I, so I called and called. I was like panicked. I called every office. I was like, he's not showing up. He's not showing up. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's here. Hit, hit, are you sure? Go to this. And th- just then it refreshed and he showed back up. So I it must have threaded this weird needle. So I was on the phone with her and I hit refresh and I was like, oh, there he is. But it says he's paroled? Paroled. Oh, my God. He's paroled. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I just started, and she was like, you're going through a roller coaster of emotions right now. <laughs> She's like, you are going through something, girl. And I was like, yes, I, I am. I, I have to go. I'll, I'm bye. <laughs> I just like, she's like, bye. So I hung up on her and I just called the chaplain at his, my dad's uh, unit. And I had the chaplain send my dad a note because I can't call an inmate. An inmate can call me. But because of COVID, calls weren't coming through. They weren't let, letting them have phone calls or visits. And they're starving them to death. It was just torture. So I was like, please get a note to him that said, you, Dad, you made parole. Congratulations. You're coming home. Happy Father's Day. Happy, uh, you're having a great 2020. Everybody else is having the worst 2020. You're doing great. Cambry's dad got parole. And in a perfect world, that meant he would be released and could move up to New York to live with Cambry and her husband. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. With COVID, I expected that they would release people. They were actually holding them. For men who got paroled, they were not releasing them, even though they were already paroled. And there were a couple of men who died. So we're like, yeah, you got to get out of there. And he had been paroled and they wouldn't let him go because he had to complete uh, drug and alcohol counseling and domestic violence counseling. I'm like, you want him to do this now? When he was there for 19, 18 years, you couldn't have worked with him then. Like, what was all that time for? That, that time is meant for rehabilitation. Why are you waiting till the very end after he's been through shit and hell and he's angrier and worse off than when he went in? And now you're going to try to rehabilitate him? 
Not only was Camry's dad not being released despite getting parole, but his health was worsening from the COVID lockdown conditions. He's got zero teeth. He's in terrible health. He's dramatically losing weight. When I saw him in, on February 1st, he weighed 209 pounds, I think it was. Yeah, and he was down to 150. So it was really frightening. And uh, when he was taken to the hospital, um, it turned out he had a mass on his lung. And this mass was likely lung cancer. It was so advanced that it's like, how are you walking around right now? And how, how have you not gotten any medical attention for this? I'm, I, I don't understand how it got that far. But it was also so enormous that there was no treatment available to him. As her dad sat in the hospital, Cambry kept asking herself one question. How had the prison system failed him so badly? The doctor I spoke to at the hospital was pretty upset. Um, she obviously was talking in guarded language so as not to create controversy or a lawsuit or whatever, but she's a doctor. She doesn't work for the prison. She has an oath to take care of people. And she talked to me about her oath and I'm going to cry. Sorry. She has an oath to take care of people regardless of who they are and their circumstances. And she said, it's, it's very upsetting to see a patient present like this because, and this is where she got guarded. She's like, I, I don't know what the care is like in the prison, but it's disappointing and upsetting to see him come to me like this. So that is coded, guarded language to tell me that a doctor should have found this when during one of your multiple visits. You, any regular doctor, if you have mentioned, I'm having trouble, I'm feeling a pain, you know, or anything. I don't know what my dad's doctor visits were like, but I ordered all his records. And sometimes he didn't have an interpreter with them, and sometimes he did. Um, you know, it's hard to say. And so he got parole. That was the 19th, I want to say. And the 26th, I think, is when he went to the hospital. Um, and then July 2nd, he was taken to a different hospital. And then from there, he was going to go into hospice care uh, because it was untreatable. And he was dead by July 10th. Less than a month after getting parole, Camry's dad died while still in the prison system. And while lung cancer was his cause of death, COVID definitely played a factor. The University of Texas Graduate School of Public Affairs put out a profile of COVID deaths in custody in Texas in November of 2020. In it, they compared the deaths from natural causes or illness in the six months since COVID broke out in 2020 to the same six-month period every year leading back to 2015. In that time, no six-month period saw more than 205 deaths. In April to September of 2020, that number jumped to 329 deaths. As of January 24th, 2021, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice website states that they've had 77 confirmed COVID deaths, 102 presumed COVID deaths, and 60 that are pending cause. He's one of those deaths that are, it seems excessive on top of the normal amount. And he should have been home. And at home, at least he could have died, you know, surrounded by family and friends. And um, and there's a lot of me uh, that is like, you know, this is probably for the best at his age, trying 
trying to navigate this world that we're in right now and looking at, you know, he's never seen the internet. I'm going to be dealing with a, a five-year-old in a lot of ways. It's relieved me from a, from a great burden of having to navigate this with a, a man. Um, but I also was really kind of looking forward to, to it, to teach him stuff and to sh- show him the world and, and to see him learning these amazing things that would advance his life as a deaf man, the technology, to be able to pick up a phone and have a video call the way we're talking now, if this had been available to him and 20 years ago, he would not have felt so isolated and angry all the time. You know, he probably could have had another six months or a year on his life if he had been treated earlier before the lockdown, if he had been able to go to the doctor and he should have been home and at home, at least he could have died, you know, surrounded by family and friends and, um, and what a better year in terms of him coming home. There couldn't have been a better year. So I'm, I'm mad that we were robbed of that, that he was robbed of that opportunity and to just, you know, say goodbye to his granddaughters who, you know, they're feeling like, that they never really got to know him and and that he didn't really get to know them. And so they're, they're feeling robbed. Even though Cambry's family didn't get to be with her dad for the last few months of his life, she did have one thing that would keep his memory alive. Letters. We were writing each other every day, having phone calls every day while phone calls were allowed. We talked every day. And I have piles and piles and piles of letters from him from since before he went to prison because we usually wrote letters instead of phone calls but um so I'm grateful to have the this record of our our relationship together and um it's not the same as like a video or a voice message or anything like that but it's uh, it's better in a lot of ways it's just this rich documentation I had written him a letter um, when I when I was informed that he had terminal cancer, about how he had uh, been my greatest teacher in my whole life, and that I had so much love and admiration for him, and all these really good things, just elevating him and making him feel loved and supported, and he was showing that letter to all the nurses and doctors, and while he was in hospice at, at the hospital, a bunch of people sent him emails. Cause through the prison system, anybody can send an email. So a whole bunch of people just sent emails to say, Hey, I read your daughter's book and I know you through your daughter and, or I knew you in high school. You know, they were different people from all walks of life. We had a zoom funeral for him. That was really nice. And, um, and in the zoom funeral, like if this had been non-COVID times, I don't know if he'd had that many people at his funeral or that many people care. And so technology and the current COVID situation, it was a bonus for him in a lot of ways too. You know, it allowed people the time to make this old deaf inmate to feel loved. (laughs) I have probably the most honest relationship with a father that a daughter could have. I really, I feel tremendously lucky in that he was not embarrassed to share things with me and that we were able to joke and laugh about anything and also get very serious about uh, uh, our lives. He was my best friend 
for all intents and purposes other than my husband who I you know that's a different relationship but but uh yeah I mean I don't know anybody I talk to every single day other than my husband and yeah so I'm I'm missing that for sure but I I am happy to have all those letters and stuff Uh, it's really nice to have that documentation Texas has had the second most prison COVID-19 cases in the country. As of January 24th, 2021, they have had 32,440 positive prisoner cases and 10,146 positive prison employee cases. One-tenth of the 99 prison units in Texas are currently on lockdown. Cambria is the owner of QED, a comedy and creative space in Astoria, Queens. QED has been forced by New York State to close since March of 2020, but you can still buy books, games, and merch at QEDAstoria.com. This is how we love, this is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts was produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Additional music by Poddington Bear. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.